0: begins on the 6th of October. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news, and information, this is Radio 3.
1: Morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday the 29th of September. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the latest business headlines. The Bank of England has stepped in to calm financial markets after some pension funds said they were at risk of collapse. The UK Central Bank said it would spend £5 billion a day for the next 13 trading days buying long-dated gilts after last week's budget announcement of the largest tax cuts since 1972 sent government bond yields soaring. The BOE said its decision to buy a total of £65 billion, pounds, that's about $71 billion of UK government bonds, at an urgent pace, was driven by concern over material risk to UK financial stability from the turmoil in the gilts markets. The European Union has vowed a robust and united response to suspected sabotage of two Russian gas pipelines. In a statement on behalf of all 27 members, EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell said Wednesday that the bloc was deeply concerned about the damage to the Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipelines connecting Russia to Germany via the Baltic Sea. Private home prices in Hong Kong have fallen to their lowest level in three and a half years. The Rating and Valuation Department's Private Domestic Price Index in August dropped 2.3% month-on-month to 368.2%. That's the lowest reading since February 2019. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by wealth investment strategist Enzio Von Fahle and Sam Fever at Mandarin Capital. Discussing the mainland China property markets is Hans Fan from CLSA. Money Talk on RTHK
0: Radio 3.
1: The Emergency Bank of England intervention yesterday helped stabilize global stocks. On Wall Street, U.S. shares rebounded from a six-day sell-off. The S&P 500 rose 2% to 3,719 one day after hitting a new 2022 market low. The Dow, which sank into a bear market this week, rebounded 549 points, that's 1.9%, to 29,684. The Nasdaq Composite Index ended the session 2.1% higher at 1,052. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index rose 0.3%. The UK's FTSE 100 also climbed a third of a percent. Hong Kong stocks sank to their lowest level since October 2011. The Hang Seng Index slumped 609 points, or 3.4%, to 17,251 bringing its losses for 2022 so far to over 26%. 71 out of the 73 index members fell yesterday. A tech index tumbled 3.8%, extending its year-to-date losses to almost 38%, and erasing all of its gains from the 2022 low in March. The China Enterprises Index sank 3.1% to a 14-year low, on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index dropped 1.6% to 3045 And that takes it closer to the crucial 3000 level, which it first rose above in February 2007. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 3.5% higher at $89.32 a barrel. Gold rose almost 2% to $1,657 an ounce. There have been record breaking moves in the UK government bond markets after the Bank of England was forced to step in by gilts to stabilise the market. The 30 year guilt yields, which earlier on Wednesday touched a 20 year high above 5%, fell one whole percentage point to 4%. That's their biggest single day drop on record. 10 year yields fell 60 basis points to 4%. And the surprise announcement from the Bank of England also helped calm global government bond markets for now. The yield on the U.S. 10-year note pulled back 21 basis points to 3.74% after hitting the highest since 2010 yesterday morning in Asian trading. And it's the biggest drop in yield in two years. The U.S. dollar index, that's down 1.3%. After hitting a new 20-year high in Asian trading yesterday, the British pound right now is at one dollar eight and a half cents. And against the local currency, it's at eight Hong Kong dollars and fifty cents. The euro is 1.4% firmer at 97 cents. The Japanese yen is at 104 point, uh, 144.39 against the buck. Offshore Chinese yuan broke through the 7.2 per dollar mark sliding to a record low yesterday of 7.2386. This morning, it's rebounded to 7.17 and a half. The onshore yuan also broke 7.2 against the dollar, falling below that mark for the first time since February 2008. And Bitcoin is up 3% at 19 and a half thousand dollars. And around Asian stock markets this morning, we are seeing a rebound following Wall Street's lead, the SX200 in Australia, is up 1.4%, The k 225 in Japan has risen 1.1%. The Cosby in South Korea is up about 1.5%. And here in Hong Kong, we're expecting a gain of about 400 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. <laughs> Time's 8.09. Let's go and discuss what's going on in the markets this morning. A lot of volatility. First of all, we have with us our regular Thursday commentator, Wealth Investment Strategist, Enzio Von Faal. Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And also joining him, Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital, Sam Faver Morning, Sam. Good
2: morning, Peter.
1: Um, let's start with the turmoil in the gilt markets and what the Bank of England has done. Um, It's tried to step in to calm the financial markets because some pension funds yesterday said they were at risk of collapse. The UK central bank said it's going to buy five billion pounds a day of long-dated gilts for the next 13 trading days. Uh, That's about uh, uh, 65 billion pounds, 71 billion dollars of UK government bonds. It says it was driven by a concern over a material risk to UK financial stability from the turmoil in the gilts market. And the bank suspended its programme to sell guilt, which it announced only last week um, as part of an effort to get surging inflation under control. And what's happening there is that some final salary pension schemes, which are very sensitive to movements in the guilt market, said they had run out of collateral uh, to meet margin calls and they will be forced to sell guilt, putting them at risk of insolvency and creating a downward spiral. Uh, in the market. Um, Enzio and Sam, complete mess, isn't it? It's a very long time since a major G7 economy has gone through what the UK um, has seen in the last few days. Some bankers yesterday were saying that the UK came perilously close to another Lehman moment. That refers to the collapse of Lehman Brothers in 2008, which led to the global financial crisis. Um, How serious is what is going on in the UK for the rest of the global economy and for financial stability around the world?
2: Well, there's always a risk of contention when there's a financial crisis developing, but what is extremely serious is the way this thing has been approached because, well, this was announced on Wednesday and it seems, no, or Friday, sorry, last week, and seems somebody looked at the consequences of the potential plan. So you're left with obviously a structurally distressed market, which has to be fixed in the long term because... This is just the symptom of a massively underfunded uh, system. Mm. And you have a Bank of England, which is completely tied up uh, and schizophrenic because now she has to sustain the uh, the guilt market. And at the same time, she has to fight inflation. So she can't even fulfill its 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 right mandate. So it is going to be a long mess for a long time. And uh, I think the damage in terms of credit to the government is pretty huge as well.
1: Mm. I mean, this is... Um I mean, this is a problem for the Bank of England because now we've got fiscal policy, uh, policy and monetary policy working against each other because buying these gilts is actually inflationary, isn't it? It pumps money uh, into the economy. Well, you've got two two
3: contradictions on the monetary policy. You're absolutely right, Peter, that with the purchase of the gilts, you're getting gilts and you're giving sterling and that's if i'm assuming that goes into the system not sterilized in other words that of course increases money supply which flies straight in the wish of the bank of england to create an excess demand for money according to my economic clock in other words mm. to curtail it to curtail inflation so at the same time by defending sterling which of course doing they're actually helping their monetary policy but the guilt selling and the 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 guilt buying and the Um, Stirring,
1: buying, those are two sort of opposite effects within the monetary realm. And this is not over, is it? Because this is a temporary measure. um, And at some point, um, the BOE itself, it says yields have got to rise. Yields are going to have to rise. They're going to have to fall more. All it's trying to do is buy some time uh, in the hope that uh, the pension funds can stabilise themselves and the market doesn't collapse into a downward spiral. It's a big, big risk, isn't it, that this could continue?
3: Sure. Why should they get more collateral all of a sudden if they're already running out of it
1: now? Well, then they'll have to liquidate their, uh, their positions.
2: Exactly. Then it gets even worse. Yep,
1: yep. What do you think, Sam? This is not over,
2: is it? Well, oh, no, it's not. It's just the beginning. I mean, it's just uh, starting to unwind and the effects will be pretty big. You no, know, I think the Bank of England will, de- will do targeted uh, yield curve action, so probably we'll see a lot of... Uh, the short, uh, short-term rise going up much, uh, much quicker and they will we'll try to stabilise the long end, which is where, where the yes. uh, critical factor is. So I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing a steeping yield curve from the short end and uh, that's obviously is going to have also an impact on economics so again this impact will mitigate the uh the, the, the well, well we'll try to mitigate the inflation but at the same time will counter effect what the government is trying yes. to do on the fiscal side so i'm saying as that's why i'm saying the the two the two are completely schizophrenic at the hmm. one is putting the brakes and, with, and the other one is trying to accelerate
1: and this is a completely self-inflicted wound isn't it on the part of the uk government and it may be a warning Uh, For the rest of the world, because what it's showing is that when um, interest rates start to rise, as they are now, fiscal responsibility matters for individuals, for companies and for governments as well. You can't act as many have been used to when interest rates were zero. You could just borrow as much as you wanted at, at zero and no one cared. Now you can't do that anymore, as the UK is finding out well it's pretty
2: clear there's a lack of discipline if a a market is distressed at five percent in interest rate there's something obviously extremely wrong so and it is going to i mean we don't have we haven't even seen the the first batch of impact because obviously the cost of borrowing has been increasing across the curve so the you know that's going to have a huge impact on the on all the budgets across the planet Mm -hmm. and the next wave is after inflation is going to be credit and the credit whether we'll see default, we have seen default in some of the countries, it will start to have impact on some of the most sovereign, I mean, in the UK, what's going to happen in Italy, we don't know. Mm. And there's going to be an impact across the curve. I guess the ones which are the most protective, obviously, at the moment, is the US, because they own the reserve currency.
1: And here, are you worried about um, what this means for the global economy? We've had um, the IMF issue that quite extraordinary statement, really, which was... Um, not so many terms basically saying you're crazy here what 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 is going on Uh, we've had members of the fomc in the us say they're worried that this could damage the global economy are you worried
3: Yes, it's what Sab has been saying, it's, it's just the contagion effects and certainly in emerging markets you find something similar, in other words, with these wildly depreciating currencies driving up import costs, so of course they have to jack up the interest rates to try and stem that decline in the currency, but that's just going to end, that's just going to keep on choking off growth, so what we're going to end up with is an overshoot on the recession runway, straight into stagflation because the um, central banks will go into overkill mode via via having to do this this currency
1: policy. And if you want to see what stagflation looks like, the UK is a good place to start, isn't it?
3: Yes, I think moving very quickly to China also, yeah. And in China? Well, I just think that with the World Bank also having reprimanded China for its COVID policies, that um, you will find this growth continuing to slow but with the falling renminbi again you will find rising imported inflation paying more renminbi for mm. the amount of dollars <clears> that you're importing and, in goods and um, that then leads to a
1: form of stagnation in China So what does the falling renminbi mean? We're at, well it touched 7.25 yes. per dollar yesterday the weakest since early 2008 uh, offshore yuan fell to the weakest on record Um, Is is the PBOC sending out a sign here that, um, because this is a very heavily managed currency, um, is this weakening trend basically saying um, it's going to let it slide? I think
3: so, because they can't do too much. They want an excess supply of money in China to try and stem... That that lack of growth, which we know how that happened. So if they keep on then buying up RMB, tightening monetarily, that's not good. But at the same time, they of course, as you well better know than I do, they've got this special reserve requirement on forward foreign exchange purposes, Mm. um, on foreign exchange purchases, which hasn't worked. Which hasn't worked. So I think they're going to get stuck with having to support the RMB by just buying up RMB, and that's going to then um, worsen the economic
1: time even more. So this also has global then repercussions, doesn't it? Just like what we're seeing in the UK here um, as well, because China uh, is the world's most uh, most important trading economy um, in the world. So if the yuan is sort of really on this sustained um, depreciation path, then that's big news for every other exporter around the world.
3: Yeah, I just want to warn um, our listeners that in a book that I wrote some time ago about trade myths, that the um, that don't expect the exports to shoot up just because the is going through the floorboards. It's not that simple anymore mm. in, a, in a highly industrialised economy, which parts of China really is.
1: But a lot of countries do believe that um, they need to stay competitive. So we're, we're, the risk is we're going to see these competitive devaluations on we around the region and the around bottom. the world
3: yeah race to the bottom is is because well also because they can't afford to keep on supporting the currency i mean how how i think in nigeria the interest rates are what 7, 18% or something like that mm. that's pretty high paul volcker pushed them up to 19% in the us by the way in the early 80s um so i think we have a
2: long way to go also on the fed funds hikes
1: what do you think sam is this um going to be a problem this uh, if we get a sustained devaluation
2: yeah i think it's going to be a problem because people always talk about trade but trade is only one part of the equation Mm. uh what also is very important is capital accounts so it means you have to finance your services and you have to finance all your 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 capital capital exchanges and Mm. what you see is suddenly the the currency starts to devaluate too quickly there you have an outflow of money from the country, and that's where you have a big problem. When those cu- countries starts to completely uh, go into crisis mode, well, that's what happened in '97. Suddenly, your currency accelerates and it collapses, and then it's a flight to uh, it's a flight to quality from those risky assets. So you have to manage the currency. Uh, I think China they will be intervening. There's only two ways to stop the currency outflow: is you block it, or you, you buy you buy your own currency. Uh, but the buying of the currency has a certain limitation. It's down mm-hmm. to your reserves. So they have some room to maneuver. Uh, I guess at this stage, they're probably okay with uh, a bit of sliding. But it will have to be something they manage carefully. And if there are some of cur- the currency which looks much more scary around the, uh, around the region. I have well, I was
1: gonna, let me mention something. Mm-hmm. The Indian rupee hit a record low yesterday. Mm-hmm. The Philippine peso also hit a record low. Uh, Malaysia's ringgit at a 24-year low, the Thai baht at its lowest in over 16 years, and the Korean won trading at the weakest level since 2009. It it seems to be reverberating uh, around the region.
2: It is. The situation is slightly different than uh, 25 years ago in the sense that they are a lot better capitalised and uh, have a lot better reserves. But obviously these can go very quickly if uh, things start to unwind globally.
3: And also, on top of that, it it hastens the recession into these countries because the interest rates rising is just going to
1: choke off growth again. And well, what about our um, Hong Kong Monetary Authority? It had to step in again yesterday, the 32nd time this year now since uh, May that it's intervened uh, to defend the Hong Kong dollar peg. It bought uh, 1.94 billion Hong Kong dollars uh, that brings the total intervention this year to 215 billion dollars. The city's aggregate balance, which is the total amount in clearing accounts maintained by the bank with the HKMA, will fall to just over uh, 123 billion Hong Kong dollars. That's a decline of um, 64% since that first intervention uh, back in May. Is this starting to get a, a problem as well?
2: Well, the HKMA has um, quite a few different tools that so they want to manage the currency. The other one would be the interest rate, so they can always uh, adjust that. So I think they're, at the moment, they're, Hong Kong is in a perfect storm because they've got the slowdown. They have the, uh, the, the monetary policy working against what they're trying to do because we're pegged, and, not, and now they have the impact of the UK economy. So I think the HKMA is trying to mitigate between this, all these factors, and trying to minimize the uh, monetary impact. So I think they will keep on intervening. I still, still think they have a bit of room, but at some point, if they really have to, to
1: hike interest rate, they will have to. What happens if our aggregate balance goes down to zero?
2: Well, they have to defend the peg, so they get uh, interest rates up, try to get uh, the, the, the Hong Kong dollar more attractive against the, the dollar, and the flow reverses. Mm. And that's, you know, if you have positive carry between the Hong Kong dollar and the US dollar, people will buy the Hong Kong dollar and sell the US. They, they're they, doing exactly the reverse at the moment.
3: Maybe they borrow some money from China also to, to up those reserves a little bit. Mm. Because it wouldn't be in China's interest to, to see us depeg at all. Every yep. time China's, every time Hong Kong is de-pegged, it's basically gone south to the land of the golden
1: harps. Mm. So it's just not good. Okay. Well, thank you both very much. That's Enzio von Fall, wealth investment strategist. Sam Favre, chief executive officer at Mandarin Capital.
4: Radio Three, Radio Three Autumn Schedule. Common Room it's coming to you at five pm. Do bring your hottest hits and backstage interviews. Hey, this is Dorelipa, and I'm talking to Alison
2: Howe. Hey, guys, Taylor here. Hey, it's Billy Irish. What's up, guys? It's
1: Sophia Carson. Hey, Hong Kong, this is Ed Sheeran, and stay tuned to Alison Howe on RTHK. And there's more inspiring career journeys and plenty of young voices. Common Room with Alison Howe. Come and hang out with us in the Common Room. Hi, I'm Alison Howe. Meet me at five. It's Radio 3's new autumn
0: schedule. Autumn schedule. Common room is coming to you at five PM. Money talk on RTHK Radio
1: 3. Times eight twenty-three. Joining me now is Hans Fan, who is head of China fintech and financials research at CLSA. Very good morning to you, Hans. Good morning, Peter. Thank um, you so. For me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, one of the, the, the big issues, obviously, affecting the financial sector um, on the mainland right now is the property sector, of right. course. Are you seeing any signs now that the slump in the mainland property market is stabilizing?
4: There are some initial um, response from the government. I think that's the key, because since the uh, July policy meeting, the central government has has pledged to have the local governments taking their main responsibility. And following then, we're also seeing some central government plans, such as the police banks, and guarantee from the China bond insurance companies to step mm. in. So the direction is that we have the already seen the introduction of, of the government credit enhancement to save the market. Having said that, so far, those signs are still an issue because even look at the overall property sales, we're still not even seeing meaningful recovery yet.
1: And, and the main efforts, seems to be to get uh, these unfinished properties uh, yeah. finished so that uh, the owners can can actually take ownership of them and they're still paying their mortgages or they're paying their mortgages on them uh, before they've even taken the uh, ownership of them
4: that's right that's right the, the, the key at the local level is that the to make sure that the unfinished project completed clearly this needs money right um, and in the very beginning that's the in as, as around of July I think the local governments were asked to step in to finish this project but the issue is that many of the local governments they are tied up in terms of financial resources mm. since the land sales this year was bad mm. and the economy itself is actually slowing down and also the you know the, the expense on the COVID side is also high so that's why we have seen the central government also um, you know Willing to provide more money to the local uh, levels to help them to finish th- those projects. Mm. CDB, I mean China D- Dividend Bank, the major policy bank in China, has already, um, you know, be one of the, you know, key funding source to help the local government side.
1: Mm. But what does it mean for? Uh, The banks—they're being asked by the government uh, Mm. to to, to help with the financing of property developers to carry on extending loans Mm -hmm. uh, to them. Um, How how much uh, are Chinese banks exposed to the real estate sector?
4: Yes, it's a quite notable exposure at the banking sector as a whole. We actually estimate there was about 95 trillion RMB um, in terms of total direct and indirect exposure for the. Uh, banking system to the property markets which includes three parts mortgage 39 trillion all the lending to the developers including the loans bonds shadow banking that's about 26 trillion and then you have also another nearly 30 trillion is the indirect exposure with loans collateralized by land or ex- or, or property so in, in aggregate it's 95 trillion what does this mean It means uh, roughly slightly more than a quarter of the total banking assets in China, it exposed directly and indirectly to the property market. So it's pretty heavy.
1: Yeah. And how much of that is non-performing now?
4: Yeah, so we need to look at different parts, right? So three parts, the first one, mortgage. Mortgage so far, the non-performing loan ratio was 0.34%, 034 very low. And we do expect it to stay low simply because in China, mortgage is lent out in a recall space with a very strong buffer, loan-to-value ratio like 50%, mm-hmm. and uh, there's no subprime. Uh, even looking at history back in like 10 years ago in Wenzhou, one of the coast cities in China, when the property price down 50%, the mortgage non-performing ratio was at that time was only uh, less than 1%. So that's the first part. I think it's safe. Um the third part. Let's go to third part first, which is the indirect exposure, like collateralized, you know, loans. Mm-hmm. The again, the buffer there is still high, so that's why the the risk is low. The key risk is sitting in the second part, which is all the lending um, to the developers. Right. All the banks um, we cover, they recognize roughly three point five percent of developer loan book as non-performing, mm-hmm. as end of June of this year.
1: So, um, um, the problem is. We just don't really know, do we, the true financial state of these property developers. And there's all sorts of things uh, that are off balance sheets that we don't know about. Yeah. Do you think uh, the, the banks are properly provisioned?
4: I think for the look at the entire banking system, uh, the provision level is, is actually pretty high. Because mm. in China, we're talking about maybe six trillion in terms of loan loss reserves setting aside for the entire banking system. Mm. Um, and for property exposure specifically, some of the leading banks told us they set aside about 10% of the property exposure as uh, loan loss reserves. So that's pretty high number, it's more than doubling over the overall uh, loan book. Um, having said that, uh, in our view that we do expect the non-performing loan ratio of developer to go up to high single digit in the coming uh, quarters. I think that's our base case from 3.5% mm-hmm. as of now.
1: And an obvious comparison, I don't know if it's the right one, but it's one yep. many people want to make, is with Japan yeah. in the 1990s where we saw a similar sort of housing crisis and that led to um, a sort of a big balance sheet recession. Mm-hmm. Is the risk the same in China?
4: I think the risk here uh, for China to see Japan-style recession is low. Uh, even today when compared to Japan, China still have a you know aging population. I think that's similar. But mm-hmm. uh, urbanization rate in China now still low when compared with Japan in 1990. Household leverage here are still relatively lower in China, and household income are still growing. I, I think going forward, when the Chinese government talking about common prosperity, the household income growth should be strong. Mm-hmm. So and and plus the financial complexity here in China, they, they don't have the kind of Japan style sort of inter-ownership between the bank and corporates.
1: Mm -hmm. But but even if it doesn't go into a Japanese-style recession, it seems what's clear is that China's got to change its economic model, hasn't it? It's got to wean itself off this over-reliance on the property market at all levels.
4: That's right. They have to slow down the property investments and and slow down some of the other non-productive investments um, clearly, that the government is trying to switch into you know, consumption and also high-tech sectors, etc., and new energy, etc. Um, but this is a long tr- long process transition.
1: Yeah. Okay, Hans, thank you very much for coming in this morning. That's Han Fan, Head of China Fintech and Financials Research at CLSA. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning, which are seeing a bit of a rebound today. The ASX 200 in Australia up 1.8%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan rising 0.9%. Cosby in South Korea is up 1.7%. And when trading starts here in Hong Kong in about an hour's time, we're expecting a gain of about 400 points for the Hang Seng. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning for the final time this week at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast: cloudy with showers and a few squally thunderstorms. Uh, temperatures about 30 degrees, sunny intervals and a few showers in the next couple of days, and then becoming fine earlier next week. Uh, there is a thunderstorm warning in force: 26 degrees right now, 89%
0: relative humidity.
1: 32. Here's Andrew Schrotsky with the
0: Half News. Thank you Peter. A counselor says people seeking treatment for gambling addiction at his center are getting younger and racking up bigger debts. Godfrey Ip from the Zion Social Service says during the pandemic there's been a shift to online gambling where it's easier to bet and borrow money. He also says about half of the people seeking help at his center were aged 39 or below.
1: The gambling trend we consider probably has made both betting and boring easier in general, especially for the younger generation. And adding the token effect of betting with numbers on the screen instead of cold hard cash, this probably means a shorter time for things to get out of hand. On the other hand, because for on the side of counselling treatments, because of the social distancing requirements, we have to do more online counselling which is harder for both councillors
0: and the clients. Hurricane Ian is battering the U.S. state of Florida with powerful winds and a severe storm surge that's flooded communities along the southwest coast. There's also been flooding inland as the storm advances. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, said this storm surge was higher than three and a half meters in some places.
1: So This is a, a major, major storm. It's something that we knew was gonna be significant. The strengthening of this uh, over the last uh, night you know, has been really, really significant. Clearly, this is a very powerful major hurricane uh, that's gonna have major impacts, both on impact in Southwest Florida, but then as it continues to work through the state, uh, it is gonna have major, major impacts uh, in terms of wind, in terms of rain, in terms of flooding.
0: The United States has announced another $1.1 billion package of military aid for Ukraine. The funding is for contracts with suppliers rather than immediate delivery from U.S. stockpiles. Here's President Biden's spokeswoman, Karine Jean-Pierre.
3: This includes 18 new high-mobility artillery rocket system and also known as HIMARS, which Ukraine has used so effectively on the battlefield. It also includes hundreds of armored vehicles, radars and counter drone systems. We will not be deterred from supporting Ukraine. We will continue to stand with the Ukrainian people and provide them with the security assistance they need to defend themselves for as long as it takes.
0: A study has found that over the past decade, on average, an environmental activist was killed every two days. The Global Witness Report says that more than 1,700 people, many from indigenous communities, died while trying to prevent fossil fuel extraction and mining on their lands. Most green activist killings took place in Latin America. You're listening to the news on RTHK.